welcome to the Pick Place Podcast, a show where we talk about electronics manufacturing and everything related to getting the circuit board into the world. This is Chris Denny with Worthington. And this is Melissa Hoke with Circuit Hub. Welcome back, Melissa. Welcome back, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been been a couple weeks, I think. Been a couple weeks. Sorry yeah. for the mismatched schedule. It's probably for our mental health better that we don't try to stick to an every two-week schedule. I feel like... True. Know, better content, I think. Better content. Yeah. And, and and then you're trying to rush things out, you know. <laughs> better um, for Melissa's <laughs> mental health for editing yeah, things, not exactly. the day before. And Chris's mental health trying to prepare something for the yeah. day, you know, the hour before we're spar- supposed to start recording. Oh, I should probably write down some notes about this, huh? Some some cool things been going on. I was invited to be a guest on a, a different podcast called Being an Engineer, which is was actually like totally weird for me because this show has like some legitimate engineers on it, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> like the so the episode that I was I was on was released on December sixteenth on the Bean and Engineer podcast. You can find that on Apple Podcasts and everything else. And I guess we could probably include a link to the show notes or yep. in the show notes to it. But the very next episode was this guy, David O, who is the former flight director for the Mars Curiosity rover from NASA. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, hold up, hold up a second. You're supposed to get all your subscribers the week before and then have me on. You yeah, know? so it's a switch up. To switch that up. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened. I haven't listened to that. I'll give that a listen to. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, I think people will quickly forget about December sixteenth's episode and listen to December twenty thirds and move on from there. But anyway, yeah, it was fun. So the cool thing was it's Aaron Aaron Monker, and he is really more of like what do I like a mechanical engineer really more than electrical engineer or manufacturing engineer. He's more of a mechanical design engineer. They design machines and automation and stuff like that. And so his questions were really interesting because he was so naive to the topic of electronics manufacturing. And it was really fun to just sort of like take that completely, you know, unmolded piece of clay and turn it into something that was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So tune into that. And uh, yeah. So speaking of struggling to get content out, we, you know, we, uh, it's, both of us have so much going on right now, but we got an we got an awesome email from this week's guest recently, and we had him on a previous episode. Mike Conrad was on our show. What did I say? Episodes twenty three and twenty four, I think, or twenty two and twenty three, somewhere somewhere around there. We could probably include a link to those episodes in the show notes as well if you want to go back and listen to that, where we talked about cleaning in the past. But things are changing. And now, to be fair, things did change even when he was on the show last in, in the world of cleaning and electronics manufacturing and, and how all that's related. The, the, you know, the, the standards of cleanliness had changed already, but Mike was noticing in the industry that not a lot of people were paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it might be a good topic. And I was like, hey, we'll, you know, at this point, we'll talk, to, we'll talk to some grass that's growing. So why not? <laughs> So why not, why not get Mike back on the show? So with that beautiful introduction, I would like to welcome our our guest, Mike, Mister Clean Conrad. Welcome, oh welcome my back, God. Mike. I don't know what I, I've I've gotten a lot of compliments, you know, being an expert in the cleaning business, but being compared to a little more bit of the growing grass, grass is is amazing. This is you know you've made my year, Chris. I reach high. I reach high, Mike. That's you know, amazing. I'm, 
Yeah. So welcome back to the Does show. That come Mike. with a little plaque, you know, better than growing grass. Or something? I'll get you a certificate. Okay. I'll get you, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a facsimile of a, of a certificate. Yeah. Fair enough. So Mike, just remind the listeners in case they're new to the show, if you don't mind sharing your background and, and what you do today and how you got there, just, you know, your brief elevator pitch of who you are, I guess. Sure. I committed a very heinous crime and the judge said you can either do 20 years in jail or you can work in the EMS space for the rest of your life. I thought that was a better deal. And I think that might be a false equivalency. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I, I, uh, I founded a company called Aqueous Technologies. Aqueous, of course, means water, duh. And so it's not a far leap to figure out what we do. We build cleaning equipment for the electronics industry. We Our machines clean circuit assemblies after reflow. We build testers to show you how clean the boards are and peripheral devices. And More on like that, that later. Yeah. So I And I started this world in 1985 when I was four and uh, child labor. <laughs> and, and I'm I was still one. here. Fun fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fun fact. I started in 85 and then I, I had some equipment for my employer at the time. And okay. came up with what I thought were really cool next gen ideas and uh, yep. they weren't interested. So I sure. had a little tantrum and I left and, and I started my own company in 1992. Took your football and, and went home. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. All those Beautiful. years. Later. So it's topical too. Worthington Assembly and and by extension Circuit I just purchased a piece of equipment from Aqueous Tech. We were we'd we'd been you know, we're, everything that Worthington and Circuit Hub focuses on is is automation. We're not shy about admitting that, and we have no, you know, some people hear the words automation, they think, you know, taking away jobs, and we have found the total opposite in our experience. The more automation we introduce to our company, the more people we're able to hire because of the more work we can take on and yada, yada, yada. But we're always looking to automate everything. And one of the things we were trying to automate was the cleaning of our stencils and our squeegee blades, all these sort of things that are associated with stencil printing. And in addition, Mike, so Mike mentioned that the Aqueous Tech makes equipment for cleaning finished assemblies. They also make equipment for cleaning, I'll, I'll call them process materials, you know, things that, you know, it's not necessarily something you're going to ship to a customer, but you need to get it clean in the meantime. And so they had a nice piece of equipment for us and we purchased that. And Mike, you said it's shipped yesterday. Is that correct? You shipped this, uh, it's on, it's on its way. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I, I I don't know. I have no idea. I'm if joking. that's what they told you, I'm we ordered that. it. We ordered it like Friday, so I don't, oh, I don't think so. No, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Uh, no, I think we're actually shut down between Christmas and New Year. So oh, very nice. Yeah, it's yeah, on its hope, way. Check us in the hope, mail. Yeah, yeah. I hope everybody's. <laughs> I hope everybody at Aqueous Tech is enjoying their time off. And, we are. Thank and you. not spending time listening to their boss uh, gab on and on about cleanliness standards. Which yeah, I don't. I don't think they're listening to this show today or or yeah. any. The other thing I've but done. they are loyal listeners. My understanding is that the numbers we get in Southern California are off the charts, and they are all focused in in that area. That uh, you're yeah, but now that we have the order, the, the numbers are going to drop. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go from ten listeners to four. Is that yeah, exactly? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. So sixty percent. Yeah, but anyway, I'm you, Mike. If you don't mind, I'm going to read the email you sent me word for word, and I because I think it's a great way to kind of kick things off about what today's show is going to be about. So word for word, it, it went IPC dramatically and IPC, in case you're not familiar with IPC, we had a, a member, a couple members of the IPC on our show previously, but for lack of a better term, they're sort of the, the group that sets the standards for electronics manufacturing. That's a gross oversimplification for it, but you get the idea. Anyway, IPC dramatically changed the cleanliness standards in 2018. 
Adoption of the new standard has been slow at best due to the lack of understanding of the standard's details. Shocking. Somebody not reading details? I'm shocked. Basically, IPC took away the old pass-fail limit and replaced them with an objective evidence protocol. And you put objective evidence in quotes. I can't wait to pick that one apart. As you know, most engineers simply want to be told a number to hit. That's not true at all, Mike. I never want a number to hit. Absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah. <laughs> and that number is now gone. Assemblers must now prove that post-reflow contamination on their assemblies will not lead to a failure, which I'm, I'm, in a, I'm already breaking out in a sweat just reading that sentence. In actuality, any amount of contamination is now allowed as long as the assembler can prove it's not harmful. So that, that was Mike's email. And I'm like, oh man, I have so many questions about this. Personally for myself, because we're trying to run a manufacturing operation here, right? But also for our listeners. So if you'll recall, Mike, we do we absolutely do have manufacturers who listen to the show, no doubt. And many of them sure have written do. in and and we're happy to have them as listeners. But by far the vast majority of our listeners are the people hiring manufacturers. So they're the people hmm. on the design side. They're they're the customers. They're the ones where you say assemblers must prove that post-reflow contamination on their assemblies will not lead to a failure. They're the ones that I have to prove this to. Right. Right. <laughs> so I think we want to we want to gear this conversation towards them more so than than towards manufacturers, but obviously sure. it's it, yeah. the two are going to blend together. This whole show is about how we get finished assemblies in the world, right? So the IPC, so I believe you're referring to the J standard, right? J S T D 001. That's how that's you correct. Would, yeah. That's how you would Google J-STD-001. That's gone through many revisions. The current revision released in 2018, as I understand, is revision H. Is that correct? Yeah, actually G was G, G was amended in 2018. Okay. Section eight of G was amended in 2018. Section eight covers cleaning and cleanliness cleaning. quantification. Okay. And then H, H now, came out yeah. about a year ago and H memorialized okay. those changes. So it wasn't an amendment. It was now a standard part of, of a memorialized. That means it, w it was put to, put to was, death. That means we don't have to worry about it anymore. Is that correct? We it, just the, memorialized it meaning it's, it's not, it's not an addendum. It is <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. nice, nice, nice thinking. I like your, I'm with you there, but no, 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 we're, we're, it's, it's part of our world now. And it's, right. it's not, it's not based on an addendum. It's now part of the, the regular standard. In okay. All right. Very good. Very good. So if you, if you don't mind, can you, can you bring us up to speed? Let's, let's have a, a, let's have a, uh, uh, what's, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? You know how in Wayne's world, they go, right. and they go, right. they go back to the past. You can hear that let's, in your head, right? Yeah, exactly. What, what, let's go back to the past. What had the standard been before this amendment before, let's say, you know, standard A, B, C, D, E, F, F. What did that say about cleanliness and, yeah. and what was everybody trying to achieve back then? And the whole industry was built around. And, and if you could just bring us up to speed on, on what that was first sure. before we get into how did it change? Yeah. No, I love to do that. I love to, to get in the, in the time machine and explain yeah, there we go. how things were because then it makes a little bit more sense where we are today. We're getting so the, the original and fire up the flux capacitor. Exactly. Back to yeah. the future. The original pass fail <clears throat> limit was based on a specific type of cleanliness test called a ROSE tester, R O S E. And didn't that stand for something? Yeah, resistivity of solvent extract. Oh, great! Right? That's, That's catchy. Which just makes no sense, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, to the layman, you you can't hear the hear the full acronym and understand what it does. But sure, as a cleanliness tester, in in okay as they were referred to. And 
the powers that be at the time thought that, okay, we need, we need to come up with a number based on this Rose test. Mm-hmm. And if you exceeded that number, your boards were dirty. If you were at or lower than that number, your boards were clean. Nice. Okay, fair enough. That's go, what engineers go, want. That's what go, people no want. Go. Right. Yeah. We want a very binary selection. Go, yeah. no go. You know, black, white, up, down, left, right, pass, yep. fail. Give us a number. And, and like we had line. that number. And that number was 10. Doesn't really matter what 10 means, but sure. for okay, the sake of sure. this conversation. Yeah. But yeah. I don't want to go too far, down, too far down the rabbit hole. That's fine. So 10. And the problem, so 10.01, your boards are dirty. Don't ship them. 9.99. Phew, Life is good. Almost had a dirty board. Ship it. Yeah. So the problem <laughs> was that those that number was derived in the 1970s. Okay. All right. So this could have been this could have been NASA. It could have been some large defense contractor. Somebody, some group of engineers originally came up with something that everybody agreed. Okay, we can yeah. confidently ship things. However, with this number. It, it actually came out of the the mill standards. Um, yeah, so Mil probably sixty five thirty six or two thousand A weapons. Okay, spec. so real quick for listeners who aren't familiar, the mill standard was kind of the 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 military had to set up some standards for what they would accept for for assemblies, and they 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 would go to the Worthington assemblies of the world and say, here, anything you build for us has to meet these standards. And then they didn't want to be the, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, they didn't want to have to con- continue to set these standards and control the standard. And then IPC sort of stepped in and now they they kind of, you know, shepherd the standard, so to speak. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. IPC kind of started the standards process based on the existing military standards. Yep. And then they became industry-wide standards. Yep. Right? And the the problem was that, these numbers came out in the 1970s. When the numbers came out, the people who floated the numbers, from what I understand from history, maybe an urban legend, but I, I believe it's true because it makes sense. They were, they were infuriated that the number made it into a standard because what? that number was really never meant to be a standard. They were just floating, well, you know, we think this might be a clean number, but, but they never <laughs> intended it to be universal. You know, oh, like no. God's eleventh commandment. You know, that right, shall right, be right. less than ten, and and don't murder people. Right? It it was. <laughs> they said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! We didn't mean it for the whole world, but it sure. got embraced, and it, it just became part of the historical record." But but it was it was effective. I mean, it had people had must have kept using it because it was working. Right? It like was if it wasn't working, working for, people would have abandoned it. Yeah, it was working for some, but okay. But, you know, think about this. You come to me in 1970, you, you pull up in your Chevy Nova, you, you are listening to David Bowie on your 8 It's going to be a Dodge Charger. Player. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's going to be a Dodge Charger. A Dodge Charger. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Right. A muscle car. So you, you pull up in your Dodge Charger listening to your 8-track tape on your way to build a whole bunch of through-hole assemblies yeah. with axial-leaded components and dips and things like yeah, that. Man. Right. Parts that Good old are, days. The old days where parts were very far apart, the leads in those parts were very far apart, and you said, Mike, how clean do I need to have these boards? And I tell you, 10. Sure. And then NASA comes up to me and says, we're building this spacecraft that's going to go to Mars. It can't fail. Or Boeing comes up to me and says, we're building a guidance system, a, a, a ILS approach system on a commercial aircraft. It can't fail or 400 people will die. How clean do my boards have to be? And I go, 10. I tell NASA 10, I tell, I tell Boeing 10, 
and you're building, you know, guitar pickups or something. And I tell you 10. Yeah. Right? And all of you have a different cost of failure. All of you are doing, are, are using different components. All of you have a different climactic in use environment. Yet I tell you all the same number, 10. And that really never made sense. Sure. Ever. Because I would like to think that, God forbid, if I ever have to have a pacemaker in my chest, that maybe that was clean to one. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe my Amazon Echo speaker was clean to 20. Yeah. Because one has a higher cost of failure than the other. Are you sure? So, well, I mean, it depends what song's playing, I suppose. I mean, let's the David Bowie A track sound pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty pretty gnarly <laughs> in the day. So so the the old standard never considered the climactic in use environment which I'll get to in a moment because that turned out to be a, a, a pretty major influence of today, course. less so yesterday. It didn't consider the component types. It didn't consider the cost of failure. It didn't consider the standoff heights of the component. It didn't consider a lot of factors that have turned out over time to be proven relevant factors. We just so, had 10. Let me, let me pause you there for a second. So there, there's this number. We'll just call it 10, right? It is it is in a rose test. And so the rose test has, is, is somehow defined, right? Somebody defined, this is what a rose test is. And this is how you generate a number from this rose test. And that number shall be less than 10 in order to ship it. Right. So, so I could, I could go to the Mike Conrad's of the world, the aqueous techs of the world and be like, Hey, look, you know, Amazon is asking me to build their echoes. Can you, can you ship me a machine that does this rose test and gives me a number? And there were, there were suppliers doing these sorts of things, right? There were people making these kinds of instruments where I could, I could, they would say, if you follow this process, it'll give you a number and I can, I can generate a report and I can send that report with my boards and see, look, we cleaned it to the rose test. We're under the number 10 and everybody's happy. Amazon's happy. And then Boeing is, you know, the, the naive engineer at Boeing might be happy too, but then eventually somebody comes along and says, well, you know, that that plane that went down in the Philippines, you know, horrible tragedy. I, I think they never discovered it, but we, we had a rose test on those circuit boards too. And they all said they're under 10, yeah. <laughs> but it well, was a catastrophic failure and hundreds of people lost their lives. Right. Yeah. That's what happened. That, not, not with Boeing, thankfully. Of course. But, yeah, but yeah. I understand. As time marched on the, our industry, the electronic manufacturing industry started seeing an increased amount of failures. Well, that happened for two reasons. Okay. Number one, so let me go back 1970s from the beginning of time for circuit assemblies, 50s, 60s, somewhere around there, right? There was certain protocols to build a board and and, and to oversimplify it. We get the boards made, the bare boards made. We, we stuff components in them, run them through a soldering process and clean them. Yeah. Those are the major pillars, right? Board fab, stuff the components, solder the components to the board, clean up the mess you made. That was the protocol since the beginning of electronics time. In, the, in 1989, the world entered this giant global treaty called the Montreal Protocol to eliminate certain chemicals from production. Those chemicals yep. were chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs. Why, why does anyone care about that? Because we use those chemicals to clean circuit boards. Yeah. That almost every circuit board was cleaned in Freon or trichloroethane. And, yep. and the whole world got together 
every UN member country agreed to this in 1989 that by 1999, we were not going to make that stuff anymore. Okay. And everyone freaked out. Like, oh my God, how, how are we going to clean? The only yeah. people, you know, we're going to be third world countries because all the third world countries are going to move up to our position because they're going to be the only people working, right? Yeah. And of course that didn't happen. And necessity being the mother of invention, no clean flux came out. So, yeah, baby. My so friend, stuff, everybody's right. friend. <laughs> so for your listeners who may not be aware, <laughs> you know, flux is a, is a chemical we apply to, to the board during the soldering process. It helps the soldering process, basically. It does a bunch of things. And then, but it leaves kind of a gooey, sticky mess, and, and then we remove that gooey, sticky not mess. Not my no clean. Not, not my no clean, clean. Right. No. Wow, right. So <laughs> one of the problems we had, oh, well, not really a problem. One of the factors that we really never considered, when we cleaned the board, we called it a defluxing process. Right? Oh, interesting. We're removing flux. I didn't. I and then when someone said, before. "Hey, here's a no clean flux. It doesn't leave a residue. It's totally harmless. You don't need to clean it." Episode so forty eight, by the way, if if listeners are curious, episode the entire 48. episode was dedicated to flux. So, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So the if someone says the flux doesn't have to be removed, which process are you going to get rid of? The defluxing process. Yeah, right? man. So from the eighties to the nineties, no clean. Took over. Okay. Everyone started using no clean. You're using no clean. There's yes, nothing I wrong am. with using no clean. Everyone started using no clean and stopped cleaning because that was that's the point, right? And the world was a pretty happy place. Our world was a pretty happy place. We still sold equipment because the military never bought on to no clean. The medical world generally didn't buy on to no clean. Super high rel stuff that can't fail or people die didn't buy on to no clean. But the whole consumer industry, which is 80% of the of of our work, right? As an EMS provider, you know, they they embrace no clean quite successfully. Yep. yep. But several years ago, we started seeing an increase in failures on boards. It's like, what's going on? These boards are failing. Now, and I'm curious about this, Mike. So, like, who is following? these trends? Is it IPC? Who's getting visibility into this and saying, hey, we need to address this? You don't have to name names, but I'm just wondering how these things bubble up. You know what I mean? So cool. how does the IPC go and, and, and the people who are on the, on the, not the board, what's, what's, when, when you, when you help edit a document for IPC, what do you call a committee? Yeah, the IPC committee. committees. Yeah. So, you know, how do these things bubble up? Is it during the meetings at APEX and stuff like that? Like who starts to raise their hand and says, hey, I'm from Boeing and we've had an increase of failures and I'm from NASA and, and we've had an increase from failures. And it, and it started happening in 2016, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I've been on standards committees and that's a fun, that's a fun ride. They're slow, they're slow, they're molasses in winter, but, they, but they're effective, right? Yes. But they're yeah. every country heard from. So, you know, representatives from aerospace and commercial and suppliers, manufacturers, and all these different entities, you know, show up to these meetings. And I, I believe, you know, I, I can imagine a scenario where someone from aerospace goes, hey, we got this thing going on, you know. Yeah. And someone goes, yeah, us too. And oh, yeah, yeah. so do we. And it just kind of became an a known thing. And yeah, you're just, it could even just be literally like a dinner between a bunch of, you know, like, hey, you're having that? Yeah, I'm having yeah. that. And then just all of a sudden, it's just, it's bubbling up. And then somebody, somebody says, hey, proposal for the next IPC meeting, but let's, you know, let's talk about this. I want, I want to see if more people are having this. And that, and that's kind of how these things bubble up then. 
Right. And there were already people in those groups that were never proponents of a one number fits all. And, you know, these people are like, people. they're the worst people. As I said, <laughs> as I said, it's coming true as wow. I predicted. Right? And you so, understand when I predicted in 2015. Exactly. I told you, <laughs> I told you so. So there were some, I told you so's there and they were right. And there's folks like us that have been saying that for a long time. And no, so I'm anyway, the, I'm the ostrich with my head in the sand, man. Hey, you know, the, Everyone was happy with their head in the sand. It was nice and cozy. It was warm and we didn't see any danger and we didn't really have any problems. The system worked. We didn't make a mistake. Yeah. The system worked until it didn't. That's yeah. typically what happens in technology. It works until it doesn't. It's great until it's not. Mm -hmm. So it turns out we set our own trap. We, our industry, particularly the designers that are a lot of your listeners, this is oh. all their fault. Oh, because here we go. Well, it's been nice having you on the show, Mike, nice. and uh, this has been an excellent. Yeah, the, the second and the last time. And I'll send you the RMA number for our equipment, right? So you yeah. Just <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because one of the marvels of our industry totally blows me away is miniaturization. Yeah. I look at components. Oh, it's crazy. If I drop the reel somehow, if I drop loose components on the floor, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even try and pick them up. I can't see no. them, right? I'll just no. get the dust buster out and you you, know, you could literally they could be stuck to your hands on your way home. You won't mm -hmm. even know it. They're just Right, they're right. And they're in the treads of your shoe and, and it's just Yeah. So that has allowed wonderful things. You know, I'm able to have a supercomputer in my back pocket, you know, in the yeah. form of an iPhone. I'm able to have awesome technology, a watch, like a Dick Tracy watch. I grew up with, you know, the, the cartoon, you know, the, the comic strip, Dick Tracy. Of course. And he had a, he had a watch that had a telephone in it. I have that, right? Yeah. And, and, um, but that's due to what your designers do, the, the, the miracles, the, the miniaturization. So we're able to, to miniaturize components and we're able to put more components in a much smaller footprint See? on on a much smaller assembly. You grew up with Dick Tracy. I grew up with Inspector Gadget. Mm, and yeah. he had a super cool hat. I want the <laughs> you know, everybody's focused on this VR stuff, making new cool VR things. Forget that. I want the Inspector Gadget hat. You I got remember. your Dick Tracy watch. I want my Inspector Gadget hat. Well, thank God that we we didn't end up with Maxwell Smart and Get Smart because he had a, <laughs> he had a, a, sh a phone and shoe a shoe. Phone. <laughs> and he would he would take off a shoe Turn it soles up. That's right. That's there was right. a dial in it and hold it up. To, yeah. Do you want to hold the soles of your shoe up to your face and talk? I have dogs, Mike. No way. No. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So thank God for your listeners because they've created a world where we didn't need that. Dang. So it turns out that as we put things much, much, much closer together, the tolerance for residue drops. Yeah. And I, and I liken it to take like Grand Central Station. This giant bus and train station. So beautiful. It's, it is beautiful. So it's so it's 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 take your breath away. Beautiful. If a absolutely never visited there, and totally you get an opportunity to go to New York City. It is yeah. Just it's, it's, take your breath. Away. It's amazing. Yeah. And if that giant great hall had ten people in it, all spread out, one of them had a hor horrible disease. Well, let's just call them. One COVID. had like the coronavirus or something, yeah. right? The other nine will probably be fine. Probably. Probably be fine because there's there was a social distance distancing on them. Look at that, that scenario on a Friday afternoon, any Friday afternoon or any afternoon for that matter. It is shoulder to shoulder people. You yeah. put one sick person in there and you're going to have hundreds of sick hundreds. people. 
That's right. Because the tolerance for residue, the tolerance for a virus, is much lower when everything is close together. The same exact reasoning for circuit assemblies. You put things much closer together, stick residue between them, and we have a problem. Now, where's now, this residue me, coming from? Because well, let me f- let me let me slow you down for a second here. So, the, we know where the residue is coming from. That's the flux, right? But what I don't understand. No. 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 Oh, good. No. Good. 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 Mm-hmm. Thank Fill you. Fill me in, Mike. That's a great setup. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of it is the flux, but not enough to cause a problem. Really? It turned out the deal we made with NoClean, and this is just a you know, this is a metaphor. But we kind of had a contract with No Clean. When No Clean came, No Clean Flux came on the scene. the The deal was the residue would be invisible. Turns out there was residue, but it's invisible, and the invisible yeah. residue would be benign. Yes. Okay. So we can't see it, and it's not bad. Deal. Right. We're never going to clean a good again. Deal. Yeah. But the problem. Remember, I started saying we called it a defluxing process. Yes. It was never a defluxing process. It was a cleaning process. Flux oh, man. being one of the things that we're removing. But because our mentality is we buy defluxing equipment, we fill it with defluxing chemical, and we run a defluxing process, when the flux guy says, my stuff is clean, it never has to be cleaned, we don't de anything, right? We <laughs> He's but, right. His flux is clean. <laughs> exactly. But, but there are, if you bought... Bare circuit boards from any fabricator, China and the US, Mexico, wherever, Vietnam, Taiwan, Malaysia, whatever makes them. If you were to subject them to cleanliness testing, don't even touch them with your hands. Just carefully wearing gloves, take them out of the package. The moment you get them, put them in a tester. They're never at zero. Sure. There's something on there. Not enough to be problematic. Are they below 10? I just want to know if they're below 10. Well, below 10. (laughs) But they're not at zero. So yeah. you're not starting at zero. Yeah. There's there's a measurable amount of contamination on there, not harmful. The moment you touch a board, the moment it goes through your assembly process, it's gonna getting dirtier. There's board fab contamination, as I talked about. There's component fab contamination. There's process contamination. And then we throw flux on top. Yep. And Trapping it turns out there. it's not any one of those. It's all yeah. of those. It's the totality of all the residue, which has always been there. Always been there. Yeah. But before no clean, we removed it all. And after no clean, we stopped removing it all. But it wasn't a problem for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's a problem today. If you don't want it to be a problem, go back to your designs 20 years ago. So, so it won't be help a problem. Me, help me to understand then. So you've got, I mean, Mike, it's like you've been on the show before. We always just tell people, make it bigger. Then all these problems go away. Just make it bigger. No. So that's very true. I, I tell yeah. people, if you want, you have two choices. It's Higher like, reliability. You know, raise, raise the bridge or lower the river or, you know, whatever. Right. You have two choices. And yeah. if you have to either reduce the residues right or increase the tolerance for residues so i guess my my question is then when you are cleaning not defluxing as we've learned right and and you're in you're getting all that detritus off the board what is, what does dave call it swath getting the swath <laughs> yeah. off the board, <laughs> debris whatever oh, it no, is he calls there, it right? uh, no he calls it something i forget it'll it'll come yeah. back to me yeah so you get what is is that having an electrical impact 
that that is causing failures. You know what I mean? So like, is it creating a a a some kind of a circuit that should not be there? That's exactly like, what's happening. It's an okay. electrochemical migration issue. It is. So, you know, back when I was in high school in science class or in metal shop, and I forget which class, auto shop. I took anything that ended in shop, I took. Yeah, I <laughs> and, wish we had an auto shop. Man. Oh, it was great. But I remember we, we used to chrome plate stuff. Like we mm-hmm. wanted to chrome, you know, fix our bumper, chrome plate our bumper, chrome plate anything metal, you know. And the process of chrome plating is you put, the chrome, you know, the, the source metal in one area and the target in the other, and you put it in this conductive solution and run a current through it, and the, and the metal dissolves off of the source and, and transports Transfers. through the solution and, and applies itself to the other polarity, you know, the, cool. other, the other metal, right? So you could gold plate, you could all these different pl- copper plate, you could do all these platings. Well, on a circuit board, the whole assembly has turned into a plating operation. Because okay. what do you need to, to plate? What do you need for electrochemical migration? You need... Um, Chemicals and electro. You need, <laughs> yeah, you need moisture. You need okay. a conductive solution. And you need yep. an electrical bias. Those are the three pillars. So dendrites... Can, well, what, what happens with, with electrochemical migration is, is there's three phenomenons from electrochemical migration. One of them is dendritic growth. What's yep. a dendrite? Dendrite is a metal crystal. Looks like a tree branch. In fact, yep. dendrite comes from the Greek word dendron, which means tree. So, oh, cool. Or dendrites, which means tree-like. So they're actually really was, cool looking. Like whoever if you was Google naming dendrites. names that day didn't have to go far off the ranch, right? They, yeah. they were like, "Yeah, it looks like a tree. Call it a tree. Let's go home." Dendrites and like a Google image search, they're yeah. they're actually very cool looking. Like yeah. the you know the things that grow on circuit boards. Right. Well, really here's the problem: looking. dendrites are are made of metal. Yeah. They they basically rob metal from part of your board and try and deliver it to another part of the board. It's a very generous operation. I want to give metal, want to sp- it's like a socialism that just wants to spread the metal wealth everywhere, right? Making it rain. Making it rain. But the problem is we don't want electrical current to flow directly between two polarities, between a cathode and an anode, right? Yeah. Because that, we call that a short, right? That's right. And yeah. it, it shorts, it could catch fire. It could create smoke. It's very dramatic. And, it turns out that because we're not cleaning the boards yep. and because we've moved the, the polarities, the positive and negatives, very, very, very close together, it doesn't take much residue. The bridge, the, the gap that we need to build uh-huh. this metal bridge is very uh-huh. small. Okay. So before, we could be growing a dendrite, but it never reached the other side. Because it was just too far. It was a bridge so, to nowhere. It was too so far. So if I understand correctly, the the working theory on these dendrites, and and maybe it's not a theory at this point, maybe it's proven, is that it's the it's the flux and the cruft that is in the flux that is allowing these dendrites to grow. Schmutz, I think he called it. Schmutz, you were, there we you go. were there. Yeah. yeah, you were almost there. Schmutz. Yeah. <laughs> the Schmutz. Doug Pauls. Doug Pauls, for your listeners, Doug Pauls is the he is a technical fellow at Collins Aerospace, formerly okay. Rockwell. And he was the chair of the IPC committee that changed the cleanliness standard. Okay. And right. Collins is they're a supplier to like Lockheed and NASA. They're a major aerospace supplier. Yeah, they make most yeah. of the cockpit instruments and many other things to the Civil oh, aviation and, and military aviation world. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're a big player, right? 
their stuff can't so if fail. you've if you've flown on a seven thirty seven it's very likely that some of their assemblies are in that plane sure almost guaranteed yeah yep same with Airbus or whatever so the 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 industry started noticing we're getting more and more electrochemical migration related failures. One of them is dendritic growth. That's pretty easy to tell because the the part blows it. up, right? Yeah. It, yeah, and it leaves it leaves a, a scar. The more insidious result of electrochemical migration is called parasitic electrical leakage. Okay. Well, what is that? That is a temporary problem, which makes it insidious. Oh, so boy. all of a sudden, you don't quite get a dead short, but you get you do get a little conductivity between two points on the board which is not supposed to be conductive, right? You're, you're losing the resistance. The resistance is dropping. The conductivity is rising. Not enough to create a dead short or drama or smoke and fire, but enough to cause the board to not function properly. Maybe it's a board that requires, maybe it's a product that has to be calibrated and it won't calibrate. Yeah. Or we had an example of an audio company that made stage quality professional amplifiers for the pro music industry. And they, they said the tonal quality of their of their of the sound coming out of the speakers was off and huh. turned out to be a cleaning issue it, yeah. not enough to cause a short but enough to just cause it to act a little weird it just wouldn't wasn't running properly that's one problem and when i say it's a temporary problem it only occurs keep in mind three pillars of ecm electrochemical radiation moisture conductive residues bias okay. moisture if they took this this concert equipment out and they put it on a stage in alabama for a of summer course. concert series Humidity, moisture, the thing acted squirrely. Put it no back kidding. in the studio and test it. It worked fine because no the kidding. studio is climate controlled. So yeah. that that's the insidious part of it. And then there are other things where or, where, or they go higher voltage, right? Or they go so higher voltage. And voltage bias. plays a role too. Voltage yeah. is one of the contributing factors. You know, the amount yeah. of bias. The lower the bias, the lower the the opportunity for ECM. The higher the bias, the greater the opportunity. Yeah. Well, what part of our industry is growing faster than pretty much any other? EVs. Yeah. We're putting a thousand volts through some of these boards we're building. Now, electronics is notoriously known for you know relatively low voltage, five volts, you know, two point four volts, ten volt, twenty four volts, six volts, whatever. Thousand volts. Yeah. You know. You can't even have a dirty thought in your head when you're assembling those boards because you're running so much current through it. That I'm a good boy there, Mike. I, there you go. This is not happening in my factory. Keep your head in a, in a high place, right? So, so the, the reality is the industry realized this number is not working anymore because there are people who are meeting the number less than 10, and they're, they're getting all this ECM stuff. They're getting residue-related failures. No kidding. So okay. we need to rethink that. And the group got together. Doug Pauls chaired the committee. They mm-hmm. He called his committee the rhino team. Uh-oh. So, uh, because you kind of have to, to be a rhino. Things. You have to be a bull in a china shop because <laughs> yeah. you're taking away. It's like taking candy from a baby. Not, not, not in terms of the ease of taking candy from a baby, but the repercussions of taking candy from a baby. The babies will Everybody's scream and cry. Yeah. Our industry screamed and cried and they're screaming and crying today because okay. we took away their number. We okay. took away the just give me a number. Yeah. And and they replaced it with something I think was rather brave and and brilliant. They said 
here's here's Chris asking a question. Okay, IPC, <laughs> I have this board. Yeah. How clean does this board need to be? Yeah. IPC then turned around and said, okay, Chris and Melissa, your board needs to be clean enough to work in the intended climactic operating environment <laughs> without failure. <laughs> okay, And sure. then you go, well, how clean is that? Yeah. Well, okay, I get that. How clean is that? And IPC turned around and said, it depends. Uh, That's I, truly what happened, to paraphrase. And then Chris and Melissa says, it depends on what? He, he said, well, it, it depends on how much residue your board can tolerate. That's right. And Melissa and Chris said, well, how much can my board tolerate? And IPC said, you tell me. And yeah. base the answer on objective evidence. All right. So here now we're now we're getting to the newest standard, right? So my my understanding is, you know, contract manufacturers like Worthington Assembly, we are going to say we are building your products to IPC class two following J standard zero zero one. This is something that, you know, when customers come to us and they say, Hey, how can you, you know, how can I know that you're going to deliver a quality product to me? I can say, we have people trained here on J standard and IPC, yada, yada, yada. Here's three customers that can all confirm that we meet those standards, right? And then the two of us have an agreement and I'll, I'm going to start building their boards. For most things, let's say a solder joint, it's, it's quite objective because you can say, you know, the whole fill needs to be 75% or whatever. And, you know, on a ground plane and yet, you know, but you, you can, you can measure these things, right? I can, I can, somebody can, a customer can come back to me and say, Hey, this failed. Right. And I have a defensible, obviously I want to support them anyway. I can, let's, let's be honest, but I, I can have a defensible argument where I can go to them and be like, you know, I'm so sorry that it failed. However, we did meet the agreed requirements. We met IPC class two here. Here, here is the evidence. I can measure this solder joint. It, it, you know, I, I understand that it failed, but look, here's a pair of calipers. We can, you know, you're not actually using calipers. I get it, but we can measure it. When you, with what you just said, if I am entering into an agreement with a customer that I'm going to build their product for them, my next question has to be, well, what does it do? What environment's it going to be in? And then I have to determine whether or not I I trust that I can build it reliably enough. Like, I'm so confused by it. I, I don't even, yeah. like, it's going to take me twice as long just to quote because I got to do it. I got to hire engineers to do an evaluation of it. Right. Well, one of the challenges we have, you, you talked about class two. And for your listeners, there's basically three classes we call them classes, class one, class two, class three. And mm -hmm. all the class designates is what's the expected level of reliability. So yeah. military, aerospace, medical, they're all class three. That's high reliability. Can't right. fail. People die. Class two is stuff that maybe like office equipment and, and, and communications equipment that you know, no one's really going to die, but, but they are expected to, to work. Right. Yep. Class one is commercial stuff, kind of quote unquote consumable throwaway kind of stuff, electronic yep. flea collars for dogs and cats. That's class one. The problem we're having, and I just had, you know, you and I both do podcasts, right? So I had a guest on my show, it was Phil Zaro and Jim Hall a, a while ago. They're consultants within our space. And 
you know, they, they the, talked about the they, need. They call themselves the Soldering Brothers, right? The Soldering Brothers. Don't yeah, solder yeah. like they, my they, brother. They're so-called, I say so-called podcast. It's not technically a podcast, but they, it's kind of like a podcast. They, they model their, their show after the old NPR show called Car Talk, where yeah. two gruffy mechanics from Boston, you know, give what they call worthless advice to people who are calling in. They, they model after that. But their point was that we kind of need a class 1.5 or 2.5 because if you're building crappy little cheap, crappy little electronics things that, Mm -hmm. you know, for kids' toys or or Mm -hmm. for electronic flea collars, I like to use that example, Apple AirTags, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's not class three, arguably. In fact, probably not even class two traditionally. But – because it's going out, because it's being built with a highly miniaturized assembly with miniaturized components, because the residue tolerance is much lower, because it's going out as Internet of Things allows us to build things and connect devices which have historically not had electronics in them, like wearables and you know things like that. We're taking them out with us into harsh environments. All of a sudden, class one products built to class one standards are failing. Now, no one's dying. But even if you're not building a super high reliability product, it still is expected to work. Yeah, right? financially, you know. Financially. <laughs> Otherwise, you have RMAs and you've, yeah. you've got a reputational issue and all that stuff. So a lot of people are starting to relook at that class thing, not in terms of changing the class standards, but saying we have a class one product, but we kind of need to build it to class three standards. Not for the reasons that Boeing builds to class three. Right, but because it's just not surviving in in a in a class one world, right? Right, it's, or right. in a highly miniaturized world. So that's that's the dilemma. So the, the new standard, as I as I alluded to, I find it it makes a lot of sense. It puts the burden. People look at it two ways. They think, well, it's a burden because I have to come up with the objective evidence. True, but it's also liberating. Because now you can have as much contamination as your board can handle. Right. You're not. Right. You're not. No. No. I get it. Arbitrary standard. I get it. It is a brilliant. It is a. It is a brilliant solution. I. I do agree. I do agree. It's sort of like that clause at the beginning of of IPC A six ten, where it says all of these standards are absolutely true unless you agree they're not. <laughs> as between as agreed between manufacturer and user. Right. That's right. It's, right. That every declarative statement, thou shalt do this, ends with, unless you don't want to. Unless and, you don't want And to. you can get your customer to agree. Yeah. So, now, so like, for example, like IPC allows for billboarded resistors and capacitors where, where rather than sitting flat like they should, they're sitting on their side. And for certain classes, it's acceptable to ship that. But I may have a customer who goes, yeah, 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 I get that. But I want them to be flat. And right. so we have an agreement and we say, okay, we're following all these standards except for this. It is, it is, a, brilliant, it is a brilliant way of, of solving for disagreements and these sorts of things. Sure. And, I, and I love this idea, this concept that, you know, at the end of the day, if I am shipping assemblies without running them through a cleaning process, just, you know, running them through my no clean process and my customers are having them operate in the field for 10 years, well, I've, we, we have met the objective, right? <laughs> like, like. I have cleaned them to an acceptable standard because they didn't have to be cleaned and they were still had a very long-term reliability because right. they just sat in a doctor's office 
and they never fluctuated anywhere between 68 and 72 degrees Fahrenheit yep. year round, right? That actually, Chris, is your golden ticket. It's like Willy Wonka, you know, uh, you know, they were in search of the golden ticket. That yeah. is your golden ticket because there's all sorts of, there's a very specific requirement, which I'll get into momentarily, on how to, how to obtain objective evidence. It's a very, it's a protocol. You got to do this, okay. then you got to do this. However, if you've been building boards a certain way yeah. for any length of time, and you can prove you've never had a residue-related failure, or not, not never, but it, that is not an issue, right? And you haven't made any changes to your process. That alone is objective evidence. Yeah. That can stand alone as objective evidence. You don't need to go through the protocol. Now, the flying the ointment is yep. IPC says there's two types of changes. Level one changes, which they consider major changes to your process, and level okay. two changes, which are considered minor changes. Very good. If you and it lists a whole bunch of, you know, it lists all the things that are considered level one and level two changes. And they get into specifics, like changing the alloy would be a specific. Change the alloy, change the metallization, change the solder mask. Check this out. Change the location within your building that you build the product. So if you have three yeah. SMT lines and you they move it from line detail. one to line two, that's a change. Okay. Okay. Because okay? you all know every line is different, right? Yeah, yeah. Even though they could be all the same brand of equipment, yeah. you could oh, do no. three clone 100%. lines, but they're all, they all have personalities, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah, anyway, that's enough to trigger a change. Once your process is triggered by a level one or level two change, then you have to follow the protocol. Okay. Your objective evidence that we've never had a problem goes in the garbage can because it's okay. not relevant because you've made a change since then. So if you want to be a modern, flexible manufacturer that is capable of buying new equipment and making changes and introducing new processes because you want to be more efficient, effectively all of your products now have to, you know, like, let's be honest, like we, you know, we're buying a stencil cleaner. We just talked about it. That means... Now we are changing the way we clean our stencils. That's a that's a change, right? So then, I have effectively changed my process. That wouldn't change. No, that wouldn't be a that wouldn't. No, be a all right. Well, now nah, right, you're okay well, there. Yeah. You dodged that bullet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but if but you there's, gotta, your, there's something. If you there's set up your cleaner, your board cleaner, and and establish your objective evidence with the board cleaner in the west wing of your building, and you moved it to the east wing of the building, that would be a change. If you started yeah. off with brand A chemical and you switched to brand B chemical, that would be a change. Yeah. If you set up your objective evidence with a 10-minute wash time and then you realize that's too long, you can actually do it in five, that's a change. Yep, so, of course. So let's talk about what the, what the protocol is for how, how do you, how do you generate do objective evidence. So the whole idea of the standard is to make sure that your board's not going to fail, regardless of how much contamination is on there. No one really cares how much contamination is on there. As long as that contamination isn't problematic. Okay. Great. So that relieves you of an of a arbitrary burden. How do we establish that the contamination is not problematic? Well, we need a crystal ball. We need to look into the future. How do we look into the future? We artificially age your board. Yep. We make the board 10 years old rather than 10 minutes old. How do we do yep. that? We subject it to heat and humidity mm-hmm. under an electrical bias, meaning it has to be plugged in, Mm-hmm. And that is an age accelerator, right? Mm-hmm. It it it's like 
the old lady from Florida that spends her whole time on the beach. She's 37 years old, but she looks 90, right? She's all sure. shriveled up and brown and, you know, it's, it's the same, same process. The problem is we can't do that on your assemblies because the way we test to see if the board is working or failing, we have to test the electrical resistance across a whole bunch of points yeah. on your board. There might be 200 nets on this thing, you know? <laughs> yes. So imagine, you know, you imagine this little metal comb pattern that goes underneath components and we're measuring the electrical resistance between each trace, right? Mm -hmm. So we need special boards for that. So they're called test coupons. Mm -hmm. And there's a number of different designs. There's the B52, there's the umpire board, umpire two, there's all these different trade names for these boards. But basically you get a test coupon and you populate it with the types of components that you would be populating your production board. You try and mimic your production design okay. on the test coupon. So you, you populate it with similar components. You solder it with the same exact soldering materials you plan on using. You mm -hmm. run it through your reflow oven, your soldering oven, with the same temperature profile that you would on your production assembly. So you try and clone this test board. Yeah. And once that test coupon has been reflowed with I nearly identical parameters as you plan on your production board, the, the test board has these little edge connectors on it so that the test board then plugs into this connector, which is connected to a machine which monitors the electrical resistance between a hundred different points on that board yep. or however many. And then that, that test board connected to this device is put into an environmental chamber, heat and humidity for 168 hours. That's, okay. that's a week, right? Yep. 168 hours. And during that 168 hours, there's all these, the, the, the machine is graphing the electrical resistance. And the electrical resistance needs to be above and remain above every channel, every point of measurement has to be above in terms of resistance, one times 10 to the eighth. Sure. <laughs> so it has to be a high number of high value of resistance Sure. for 168 hours. And some of it is a nail biter because you're watching the graph slowly make its way down and then it might pop back up again because maybe there was a little bit of a dendrite forming and then it it blew up and, and it didn't quite make it to the other end and it was a temporary issue, but that's fine. As long as no channel drops below that one times 10 to the eighth, then after 168 hours, if your board hasn't failed, that board is deemed to be clean enough. Okay. That's your objective evidence. Okay. Now you can't, the problem is you can't spot check your assemblies that's right. To see if they're as clean as your test coupon, because you can't SIR, you can't subject it to surface insulation resistance testing because it's not a test coupon. It doesn't have right. all the, the, the design elements to it. So how do we know your process is in order? That's the second leg of the standard. Back to rose testing. So uh -oh. rose testing kind of got <laughs> demoted. Rose okay. testing before the new standard was pass-fail. Right. Now, and just if you don't mind, bring bring us up to speed with how how one performs a rose test. You don't have yeah, to get into major yeah. details. So, what a rose tester is in simple terms is 
you have a, we call it a test cell, but you have a container mm-hmm. of very, very sensitive solution. It's, it's comprised of 75% isopropyl alcohol and 25% deionized water. Mm-hmm. And then we run that solution through ion exchange media, and that removes all the ions from it. So, okay. and ions are what conduct electricity, right? So we remove the ions, we make that, we deionize that solution, and we bring it to an ultra high level of quality, 150 million ohms of resistance. Whew. If you're in the bathtub and your partner wants to kill you and throw in a toaster <laughs> or a hairdryer, hope you're in this 150 million ohm solution because you <laughs> you might feel a tingle, but you won't die. Wow. So it's it's really, really sensitive. And, and then we take a board, which you presume is clean. And we submerse the board into that ultra-sensitive, ultra-clean solution. Yep. And any contaminants that are on your board, any residues that are on your board, will be dissolved out into the solution and cause the solution's resistivity to drop. Yep. Because as, as con- contaminants conduct electricity, we put the board in solution which wasn't conducting electricity. And we can basically measure... It's not technically true, but we kind of measure the difference between how clean was the solution before, how clean is it now. The only difference is stuff that came off your board, and then we quantify the volume that came off your board, and we divide that volume by the area of your board so we can make it relative to your board. So your board has – and then we express that in micrograms of sodium salt micrograms of sodium per square inch. And people get confused by that because they go, is there salt on my boards? Like, no. What we're calculating is since salt is conductive, salt when mixed with solution can conduct electricity, we calculate, let's assume the test solution was 150 million ohms of resistance and we put your board in and at the end of the test, it was 1 million ohm. Yep. So it dropped 149 million ohms. That's how much contamination was on your board. We simply calculate how much salt would we have to add to 150 million ohm solution to cause it to drop to 1 million yep. ohm. Yep. We're I not adding you. salt, but that's yeah. theoretically how much salt it's would we equivalence. Have to add? Yeah, it's an equivalent. Whatever, so, yeah. so the results are always measured in X micrograms of sodium equivalent per square inch or centimeter squared. Right. So if it's if it's that's catchy, Mike. I mean, that's the kind of that's stuff. That's a sexy you could thing. I'll tell you. You, you drop yeah. those terms at a cocktail yeah. party, man. You're you're a popular person. I'm in all night long. <laughs> Next time at the Yale Club. Yeah, they, you know, all the women just say, "Tell me it. more. Tell me more. Yeah. Talk about sodium <laughs> equivalent, Mike. Please say it slower." Yeah, yeah. it's 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 yeah, it's definitely a non-sexy topic. But that's that was a good question. How how do they work? So the if you're working in the imperial world. It's, we are like last country standing. The number is 10 micrograms of sodium equivalent per square inch. If you're working in the rest of the world, it's 1.56 micrograms of sodium equivalent per centimeter squared. Okay. That's the same value, the same number. So now you have to do rose testing to make sure your process is in order. So you take one board per batch, one board per hour, one board per day. I like more testing than less testing. Well, let me go back. Once you do your test coupon through the surface insulation resistance test and you pass, then you take that same board that just passed and you subject it to a rose test. Yep. And that establishes what we call the upper control limit, UCL. Yeah, it's, 
It's your and, it's your your baseline, if you will. It's something yeah. to at least measure from. Yeah, the IPC recommends you apply you know a standard deviation and a mean three sigma, whatever. So you might take that number and bump it up a tiny bit. But let's assume your number was six micrograms of sodium per square inch. The SIR board, the test coupon scored a six. That would then be the upper control limit, basically. Now, you take your production boards and randomly or periodically, or some people test all of them, you grab one from production and you, after cleaning or whatever, and you test it. As long as the results are six or under in this example, chip, 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 chip. But IPC makes a point. They said, this is not the number that differentiates clean from dirty. This is a number that tells you your process is in order. Is, is in all. control. Yeah, it's a process exactly. indicator yep. or process monitor, depending if you're yep. class three or two. It's one of the two. But either way, you, you randomly check it. If the standard says you exceed six in this example, do you stop the presses? No. You test another one right away. You test two. You got to get two fails or, okay. or two two high numbers above the upper control limit. If the next one passes, if you one fail, one one pass, then you do an investigation on the board that failed. And generally, it's it's an anomaly. Generally, it's someone stuck their hands in the tester, and you know they did something wrong. They just um, finished a bag of Cheetos, and yeah, they yeah. ate they ate yeah Cheeto dust over the over, over the yeah. over the board. And you still have to do an investigation on the one failed board, but you can keep your. Pr- process line running. However, if two in a row fail, that requires that you stop the presses, hit the button, sure. stop production, line down, and quarantine all the boards from the last pass to this first fail yep. and do an investigation. Actually inspect them, maybe do local chemical characterization tests, local extraction, whatever method you, you're going to use to determine what went wrong, fix what went wrong, and then reclean those boards. Yep. And and then subject those to random testing, and then everything's back again. So there is a lot of work, theoretically, because when you have a a new product, you have to you have to create a test coupon that that mimics the product and and subject it to SIR. And most people, overwhelmingly, most people will not do that in house. They'll send that out to a lab. I was going to say, yeah. And one of the complications with businesses, you know, designed for what we do, new product introduction, is everything's totally unique, right? Like yep. every board we get is like this one's got 01005s and that one's got 0805s. And and how am I, you know, so I guess there's a range of these test coupons and I can I can just test it each one of them and say, you know, I'm still controlling for that. Yeah. And and in your world, Chris, you know, you have a challenge in that your guys' specialty, well, I got lots your niche. of challenges. Well, lots of specialties. <laughs> we all do, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but one of your unique, more unique challenges is you specialize in lower volume, quick turn kind of stuff. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. And that presents a challenge. And it's like, do you have to do this for every three boards you make? You know, you get a contract to produce three boards. Do you have, yeah. and they want it to class two, class three? Do you have to go? You know, wait a wait a week just to get the results of one SIR? Exactly. I would argue that if the soldering materials are the same as a board you've already subjected to that test and the types of components are similar. I don't think you really need to come up with unique SIR tests that are identical to other (laughs) tests you've already done. You can probably generate objective evidence saying we did a board just like this with 
you know, these component types with this soldering material with this kind of profile, and we've already established the objective evidence. That would probably hold up. Now, and then if randomly I test your your production boards. So I take my my dirty, filthy boards that are fresh off the assembly line because I don't run them through an aqueous tech board washer, mm-hmm. and I send them out for for testing, and I get whatever result you know it was able to achieve. Blah 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 blah. And I throw that same thing in a rose tester. It's gonna be filthy, right? I mean, the thing is, it's got flux all over it. I haven't cleaned it, and. Are those, is it even possible for those things to pass those tests? Is it no clean flux or is it a, like an RMA or a water soluble flux? Yeah, no, it's, it's specifically marketed, designed, and sold as a no clean flux. Yeah, yeah. then you don't want to ever rose test no, no clean. That's, this that is, is, this is my a point. huge misconception. Yeah. There's two reasons you never want to rose test a no clean. One is no clean works by taking the bad actors, the activators, that are on the flux. Flux has to do its job, right? Yeah. And and to do its job, it has to have nasty stuff in it. And the technology behind the idea of just don't clean it is it takes a lot of those activators and it encapsulates it in this resin, yeah. rosin layer. It basically slacks over it, you know? And, yeah. and that the, uh, insulates It's the it. amber that preserved the, exactly. uh, the dinosaur DNA. Exactly, yeah. The yeah. insect that got caught in the amber, you know, it... it it protects it from converting into an ECM issue. The problem is if the tester manages to dissolve that, then it releases layer, it all. It's going to yeah. measure things that may not have been problematic, right? Yeah. That's one problem. The bigger problem is a practical problem. No clean flux reacts with IPA by turning exactly. white. Yes. <laughs> so you may test your board, but now your board is white. Yes. And the only way to remove that white is to reheat it, run it back yes. to the oven. Otherwise, that white stays on. You can't wash it off. Yeah. And so it kind of ruins, it becomes a destructive test because no one it's wants a, a, this white, crusty board, right? It's they, one doodle that can't be undid. That's right. Exactly. So, so for no clean, that's a different animal. If you're running no clean, you can still do the, your SIR testing, okay. but your, your process monitoring will have to be done differently. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that that would have to be done differently. And yeah, that's going to be as agreed between manufacturer and user. Yeah, you're going exactly. to have to get creative. Yeah. So then a company like us, we would have to market this as, hey, we've, we've run these particular test coupons with this particular lab and we've achieved these particular results. Don't come to us if you want results that are different than this, <laughs> right? Effectively. Or if you say, yeah, I want to come to you but I'll make it worth your while, then we can go through the process of having a coupon that matches it, meeting a process and, you know, all that sure. kind of stuff. And, right. and, and have but your idea of quick turn yeah. is, you know, keep in mind, you have to, first you have to buy the coupons, you have to assemble and reflow the coupons, and then you have to put it yep. in, in an oven for, for seven days. Yep. And yeah. But what I'm saying is like, we, you know, we've locked in this process where we've done that. Okay. So yes. I, 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 I took three different coupons from three different vendors and here's, published on my website. Here's the results. Okay. And if you're comfortable with us producing your product on this assembly line with these results, we're here for you. We can do the quick turn. That's what I would do. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And that seems reasonable to me. If you can tell me, look, if if you wanted us to do it just for you, we're going to do the same thing we've already done. Yeah. Then like, well, save me the money and yeah, yeah exactly because those yeah, tests yeah. aren't cheap those tests they could be you know two or three thousand dollars to send yep. out for a panel and so they're not cheap 
because you're tying up someone's equipment for a week, you know? Exactly. exactly. So it's, and they can be done in house, but most contract assemblers and even OEMs aren't doing that. That's considered an analytical test. It's like ion chromatography, another type of test. That's yes. generally not done in house, it's generally That's laboratory right. work. Because yeah. it's time consuming, it's a specialty, and and you know how many how many ovens are you going to buy? You're going to buy ten exactly. just in case you know so, so you don't have a backup. You know that's that that would be yeah. unreasonable. So people use labs. This is this is all very thought provoking, and 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 I see what you're doing here. This is the Trojan horse, Mike. You're trying to get us to buy a wash. That's what you're trying to do <laughs> here. I, I I'm on to you. You know, I am on to you. The Maslow's theory says, you know, if all you have is a hammer, you see the world as a bed of nails, right? <laughs> well, if you're a cleaner person, all you see is dirt and contamination, yeah. schmutz, as our yeah. friend our friend I'm Doug gonna, Pauls would say, schmutz. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call you the Kirby vacuum salesman of. Uh, oh wait, there's more. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, this is great. No, I love having these conversations. It's all so very fascinating to me that despite literally at this point, I have. I have been working in this industry for over two decades now, and uh, despite my baby good looks, you know, I, I actually ab- I am an old curmudgeon at this point, yeah. and I'm still there. learning new things yeah. from even older curmudgeons. Exactly. Or, or exactly. maybe not even older, but even more curmudgeonly, that's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm happy to pass down the curmudgery. But I should say this. I, I'm a realist. Of course, I'm in the cleaning business, so obviously, I benefit when people decide they need to clean. Yeah, but the course. reality yeah. is not everyone needs to clean. That's right. It's not That's there right. yet. More yeah. and more people are coming to the cleaning table. I, yeah. I look at it like, you know, when the sun goes down, the shadows get longer. You yeah. know, the, the, the shadows are, are slowly covering, you know, the, well, the re- rest of the world. But as but you mentioned, the technology is clean, moving that clean. way. The technology is moving that way. So, you know, where you used to build a motherboard, an ITX motherboard that was the size of a sheet of paper. Well, now your motherboard is is the size of an index card, or yeah. it's the size of a business card, or yeah. even smaller. Sure. And guess what? Cleaning needs go up. Look at these Raspberry Pis. You know these 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 small so cool. embedded so cool. computers that are that that are you know size of like three postage stamps. It's it's scary crazy. What, but it's, are they cleaned? I wonder if they're cleaned. They're probably not because they're because they're a consumer product. You know, they're a consumer like, product. They're probably yeah. a lot of them will work inside, but the, but they could go outside too. I I don't yeah. know. I don't know if they're cleaned or not. But they that's yeah. a good case study because that product can go anywhere, right? But you know, anytime you introduce a new process, you introduce a reliability risk, right? So yeah. if you're not cleaning your boards right now and you're not having any issues, don't start cleaning unless there's a Business Can you repeat that more loudly and more emphatically, please? No, yeah. just kidding. Yeah. Just, nice thing about a podcast, just hit the back 15 second button and you can yeah. hear it again. Right? But, yeah. but that's the reality. You know, if, yeah. if you don't need to do something, don't do it. And don't do yeah. anything you don't need to do because it, it does create an opportunity for someone yeah. to make a mistake and then your boards, you know, have a problem. Is, and I can we, say that confidently because I know it's just a matter of time. We have absolutely no objection to to cleaning circuit boards. It's simply a matter of of current demand, right? And so right. our customers just are not demanding it, so we have not made the investment. But more and more customers are, right? We're starting to hear like, ooh, we had to turn away this opportunity. And we're, we're adding those up. So we literally have a list yeah. where we say, hey, this is how much business we lost in 2022. Sure, at some point, it'll be a business decision. That's yeah, right. And absolutely. then it's like, okay, we're going to make the investment and we're going to have, 
we're going to follow all these things. So yeah. I, I kid I tell people, I'll either see you now or I'll see you later, you know, That's or, or right. someone That's likes right. me. It doesn't have to be <laughs> yeah. me. So, you know, eventually people are back, you know, it's back to the future. You know, we're going I'm back going to Home Depot, man. They got, they sell brushes, they sell buckets. I don't see the problem here. I don't need to go to Aqueous Tech and spend <laughs> tens right. of it, thousands of dollars. Get a, get a toothbrush and some IPA. <laughs> Yeah. That's well, you joke. You joke, but that's a thing. There's, I guarantee, there are shops doing that. Guarantee the, it. The thing about cleaning is, cleaning is go big or go home. That's yeah. the, that's one thing I tell people. Look, if you if you can't clean well, don't even try. It's like you can't be half pregnant, right? It's it's all or nothing. And cleaning is either completely. Yeah, I'm stunned them on that one. <laughs> cleaning is completely a all or nothing proposition because if you yeah. try and clean and you don't clean well, your board is actually hundreds of times dirtier than it was yes. just leaving it alone. That's one yes. of those cases where if you can't do it well, just leave it alone. Just don't yes. touch it because yep. you can actually make it far worse. Yeah. And that, and that's the scenario we're in today. You know, that's why we just say no, like we, we right. just, that's you know, good Worthington, you know, we just, no, we're not. No, you know, uh, I've learned in business. No. Sometimes the word no is way more profitable than the word yes. And yeah. as a salesperson, and I know you're an engineer, but you're also, you yeah, know, yeah, you're also no, plugged into heavily sales, Heavily involved right? in yeah. sales, heavily involved in sales, yeah. And we hear the word no far louder than we hear the word yes. We, no resonates. No is- Sorry, I missed that last word you said. What was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when, I, I know in my sales team, you know, if we have to say no to somebody, I'm haunted by it. I just keep thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, but then if I yeah. sit down and I, and I analyze it and I realize- if we had said yes, how many more orders would we have gotten? Oh, Not that gosh. many. You know, then yeah. you realize that just do what you do well. And yeah. and eventually you're you'll have more customers that demand cleaning and and then you'll you'll be the cleaning experts because that's a business move. That's right. That's right. And and to be to be perfectly honest, that's I'm 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 honestly surprised it hasn't happened yet. We're, you know, we've looked at the numbers and it's just not quite there, but I think, I think it'll continue to add no, up. And I'll tell you what, listeners, if, if you are not currently hiring Worthington or Circuit Hub because we can't offer cleaning services, uh, let us know, you know, reach out to us. We, because there's, there, I'm sure there are people who just go on the website, look at capabilities, don't see cleaning and then move on. Right. You know, so we may be missing opportunities there as well. So this is, I, I had a list of questions. We have thoroughly covered all of them. We are over an hour, 15 minutes here. I think we get on to my favorite part of the show, unless there's anything else you wanted to sh share with us about cleaning, Mike. No, I think I'm, I'm shared out. I think there's, there's <laughs> we've covered all the subjects. We've cleaned out all the subjects. And we're, oh boy. We're good to go. Oh, yay, yay. The puns continue. Yeah. So, all right. So my favorite part of the show, pet peeve of the week. Mike, we, we primed you for this one, and I think you've got a good one. I, I want to hear it. Well, you know, this is, you know, what do they call first world problems, right? This is oh, yeah. not going to change the world. There are people the who have far worse problems. problems than this. But if <laughs> I like go, to keep this lighthearted, man, we don't yeah, want to be tired. <laughs> if I go through a drive through well, first, okay. let me back up. My first job ever when I turned 16, actually, I used to work before I was 16, but I was only paid in food. <laughs> yep. Couldn't pay me money. But when I got my first real job, very similar experience, $2.30 yes. <laughs> an hour, it was at McDonald's, right? All right. Which right was on. physically the hardest people. job I've ever had to this day because you had to work back then. Yes. Um, so today I don't eat at McDonald's very often, but every once in a while I feel like some French fries, right? And they yeah, make, I still you. think they make mm -hmm. good French fries. So I went through and I ordered, I think I ordered a burger and fries and they, they park you now. They just, they, they have these stats they have to meet to get people through their drive-thru. Ah. So there was no one behind me. 
and <laughs> and and I ordered you know like a burger and fries and a diet coke, and she goes, okay, you know, park in space number two. I'm like, and I said to her, why? Well, so that we can handle other customers. I'm like, but there's no other customers. You're looking behind you, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like looking in my mirror. There's no one back there. But I've realized, you know, you don't kind of realize something until you look back on it. Like this is probably the fourth time I've gone through here this right. year, and I think I've been parked every time. Right. That's their yeah. mo. Just get you out of the drive-through lane because means, they have KPIs they need to meet. They have KPIs, and and I know they don't track. There's no KPI for how long. You know, so one time it was this year, I think one time I just tried an experiment. I was in a feisty mood and they said, oh, you're going to have to park in space number 10. And I said, no. And and they looked at me like, it's like I broke the computer, you know, it's like like it crashed. And like, I said, no, I'm I'm just, and I wasn't being argumentative. I it was very polite and very cordial. And I just said, no, I'm just going to stay here. And they said, well, no, sir, you have to move on <laughs> because other people are waiting to get their order. And I'm like, well, I'm one of those people. I'm waiting to get my order. And I'm at the, it says here, pickup. The yeah. first window was pay, which yeah. I stopped at. And the second window was pickup. And I'm here to pick up my meal. And I knew that if I didn't move, that meal would get ready in half the time. Ah, right. Because you know they would you now have to system. meet a KPI. That's right. Hmm. No, I haven't so been I brave have, enough to do that. I haven't felt quite, you know, curmudgeon enough to do that again. But that was just so kind that, of a social experiment. The, the pet peeve then, if I'm hearing you correctly, is setting the KPIs wrong. That's the pet yeah. peeve. You're setting the KPIs wrong. Yeah, they're finding ways around it. And yeah. I know that someone in corporate goes, this store is great, man. They have yeah. great turn through. Look how fast. Well, they, Every customer served in six seconds. Funny you should mention, there's a team member who works over at Circuit Hub, and he used to be a like regional manager for McDonald's. And he was telling us how like one of it. And by the way, he was a regional manager when he was like 18. Like <laughs> these are the managers for McDonald's about it. Like you think the people flipping burgers are young. You, you don't even know <laughs> anyway. So he's what his job was is he would have to order, you know, um, whatever was on the menu. Right. And then he would have to start a stopwatch and see how long before they took his order, how long before he paid, how long before he picked it up. And then he'd have to pull over and then he'd have to peel apart the food and how many pickles are on there. And is there too much mustard and yada, 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 and give them a report and everything. So they're doing that in person. Well, at least they were 20 years ago. I'm not sure. Right. I, I don't know how long ago he was doing that, but yeah. you know, so it's not necessarily somebody sitting in the office in the, in Chicago, uh, in their headquarters, you know, marking all this down, but there's people in the field doing that. Literally, I mean, this is secret shoppers. Example. Yeah. Yeah. Secret shopper. Yeah. Yeah. But then the trouble is they start to recognize, you know, the, the manager's truck, you know, like, Oh, make sure you right. do this one. Right. You know, right. We always um, knew, we always knew we were being shopped because the manager told us we were being shopped. <laughs> and, and we're scheduled to be shopped today at two o'clock. It was just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a lame thing. But, That's a joke. Yeah, exactly. Well, the the other thing I want to mention to you, Mike, is because I can't help myself when other people bring up their pet peeves. Is I try to find solutions. This is just I don't know. Call it being a, a man or a husband. You know, we 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 make this mistake all the time and try to provide solutions. And even though people don't want to hear them, but this <laughs> is what we do. You got to use the app. You get you get the cheap coffees. You get, you get the deals on the burgers. You got to use the app. And then I, you know, I make them do the work. 
I ain't driving through your drive-thru. You come to me. I'm going to park my butt right here and you walk out and bring it to me. I don't want to have to step foot. You know, I don't even want to have to navigate around and your little the, lane. And they're on the way to my my order anyway because I'm already parked there waiting. <laughs> I'm the smuck that went through the drive-thru. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. yeah. yeah See, I noticed the, whenever you go through a drive-thru now, they always start off. It's pre-recorded. They go, welcome to McDonald's. Will you be using the app today? Oh, yeah, is like, it really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, because there is an option when you do the pickup. You can say, I want to pick up via the drive-thru. Right. And I've never done that because I didn't know how it worked. Now yeah. I know how it works. Sure. Maybe I'll try it sometime. Yeah, but normally sure. what I do is because I live I live like just a couple miles from a McDonald's on my way to work. And I pass it every single day on my way to work. And if I don't have time to make coffee in the morning or I just feel like having somebody else do it for me, I will very often, before I leave my garage, hit the order button. And it's the the, the app experience, if you get used to it, it's awesome and it's yeah. cheaper it saves you a ton of money because they all want everybody using the app they don't want and from what i understand they are the largest of coffee in the united states mcdonald's well, i believe people, it people think it's like I starbucks do or believe something, it. but i think it's mcdonald's or Dunkin no, Donuts. I, but I, th- I absolutely believe that yeah 100 yeah, and and you know as far as american coffee is concerned it ain't too shabby but i mike i know you've traveled and i know you know as well as i do Americans, we get gypped on coffee, the coffee yeah. in Europe and, yeah. and oh my gosh, it's so much better in Australia, the coffee in Australia off the charts, man. All right. Anyway, thank you for listening to the greatest coffee podcast in the world. Exactly. Everybody tuned yeah, in we've that. solved a lot of problems, <laughs> KPIs and coffee. This has been great though, Mike. What's the best way to, for people to reach out to you if they have other questions about cleaning or, or IPC? Well, I've got or... a few email addresses, but the easiest one to remember is Mike at MikeConrad.com. Just remember that's Conrad with a K. Conrad, so Mike at MikeConrad.com. Yeah. And you spell that Mike, Mr. Clean Conrad. Is that correct? Mike, it's, Mr. It's Clean Mike, Conrad. Mr. Right, Clean exactly. Conrad. Yeah. I'm going to shave my head. First of all, i got to build like a six-pack abs and, you know, <laughs> and then shave my head and put an earring in and take my shirt off and fold my hands. And that, that's Mr. Clean. I, I, don't think uh, I'm, yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever be confused with Mr. Clean. No, no, but that's, that's, you, you were, you were hereby memorialized as Mike, Mr. Clean Conrad. There you go. It happened. That's, that's it called happened. the call. Yes. That's called the callback in the biz. There you uh, go. Memorializing. So Speaking we're not memorializing biz, love, your path. I do love passing. both. I, I love your podcast. Melissa and, oh, and Chris, you guys do a great job. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but there's not a lot to listen to in our industry. And mm. you guys are natural hosts and well, ask great questions. And I'm listening to subjects that I really don't care about. Yeah, sometimes because I'm not into the design side, I find it interesting, but I don't sure. have I don't have a horse in the race. But I still keep listening because you guys are very uh, both entertaining and and, and and you're really good hosts. And so I and your guests are pretty cool. So I enjoy listening to your podcast. And you know your production value is good. Your production quality is good. You guys got it down. So I'm a, I'm a fan. Thank you very much. Thanks. We got all that recorded. Is that correct, Melissa? We didn't miss that. We right? did. All right. Did, did sure I read to- that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna increase the gain on that portion. There of you go. Right. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, my head's yeah. bursting. Yeah. Oh, uh, thank you for the compliment. Yeah, we work hard on it, and we we enjoy it. And uh, it's it's thanks to wonderful guests like yourself, and yep. and uh, so many we've had in the past. We've we've it's been great, and the community we're building around it too. You know, and starting to like, oh, you're Chris Denny from the Pick Place podcast, and that kind of stuff is is like. What? Who? I, I thought all my grandmother listened to this thing, you know. Right. But Melissa, yeah. she has the stats. She tells me more than my grandmother listening. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. when I go to trade shows. People will come up to me and go, "Yeah, you you have that reliability podcast." I'm like, "Yeah," and yeah. it feels, yeah. you know, I feel like Brad Pitt, you know, it, 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 going to a supermarket. Speaking of the you know? six pack and the, uh, I don't look. I didn't say I look like Brad Pitt, but I feel like, <laughs> well, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very good. Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about is it would be fun for a trade show in the future to do some kind of, I don't know, do something with a booth or do something with a I think that'd be amazing. I think we could, we could do or, that quite well. Yeah. We could tag team and, and, and interview people together and things like that. I, I'm speaking in January, late January at PanPAC, the Pan Pacific Microelectronics Symposium in Kauai on the Hawaiian Ooh. Islands. Oh, and nice. I, I'm speaking there and I'm also one of the events there is we're going to record a podcast interviewing a guest right there in front of the audience. So mm. it's part of it is the tech side. This is how a podcast, you know, I'm dragging out all my stuff. You oh, know, boy. so, you know, we're setting up the, the podcast thing so they can see the mixers and the lights and the, you know, mic, mics and all the stuff, that, all the stuff that is around you. And, and they can watch the podcast getting recorded and they can hear, yeah, cool. of course, the conversation and see the conversation. So yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. So you're doing that for the afternoon session when everybody has a full belly and they get kind of sleepy. So you just you just put the whole audience to sleep. And, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then perfect. And then you know, take money out of their wallets when they're when they're not <laughs> while they're sleeping. Yeah, That'll exactly. be me and Melissa sneaking up behind everybody. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody's got to pay for this. It's show. great. It's it's better than a hypnotist. Right? <laughs> I always say my podcast is is better than Ambien because it's very effective and it's certainly not habit forming. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's good. That's good. I will have to recommend that. If anybody, if any of my friends ever tell me they have trouble sleeping, I'm going to recommend the Reliability Matters podcast. There you go. Which, there you go. There's your, there's your plug. The So in addition to Mike at MikeConrad.com, listen to his podcast, Reliability Matters. Can you just search for that like on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? And yeah, it's on all the Matters. podcast sites. But if you just Google Reliability Matters podcast, okay. I don't even think you need the word podcast. It'll show up. There you go. You know, okay. It's also, we go. also have a YouTube channel. We do a video version of it as well. So even though I have a face for podcasting, I have a face for radio. Well, we if you dress up it. like a Mike, Mr. Clean Conrad, then I think you'll get more viewers. You know, I'll, I'll join a gym membership. That'll be my new year's resolution by, by the end of next year to look like Mr. Very good. All right. As always, please email us, Melissa and I, you can reach us at contact at pickplacepodcast.com. You can tweet us also at circuit hub or at W assembly. And as we like to mention, Lately, at the end of each show, please tell somebody you know. If you know, if you have a colleague you think might enjoy the show, let them know. You know, if you're if you're listening to this right now, hit pause, walk over, and be like, "Hey, Jim, I think you like this podcast." And apologize for calling Carol Jim, and uh, get back to your desk and get to work. So, and please send us uh, show suggestions. We we love to hear them, and we have a bunch. There's so many we want to address, but they require preparation. And when I can just have Mike Conrad come on and talk for an hour, they're much easier to record. So that's why we're doing this, I think. So, But uh, please keep them coming. We have a few in the chamber and we'll try to address them in the future. But uh, thank you very much for those of you who have written in. But please don't hesitate to write in more. Yeah. And thanks again, Mike, for coming back on the show. You're, you're welcome here anytime. And I, for one, certainly thought that was more interesting than watching grass grow. And I hope oh, our listeners do too. Well, the, the expectations were set very low. So I, See, I didn't have to, I just had to beat the pace of grass. So we're I'm go. a professional, there Mike. I'm a professional. Yeah. This is what I do. <laughs> That's the secret to a good podcast. Yeah, good ratings. Just <laughs> let everyone know how low bad it is. And then if yeah. it's not, it's like my daughter, when she was a teenager, I'd ask her, Hey, how was this? She goes, well, that doesn't suck. This doesn't suck. If it didn't That's, suck, it's, hey, it was great. We're doing right? good. So, yeah, we're doing good. Yeah, my goal is just, you know, not to suck too badly. So. I like it. Good. Thanks for yeah. having me on. Thanks for having yeah. me on. I appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you guys. You're great. Yeah. And for everyone tuning in, thanks for listening to the Pick Place podcast. If you like what you heard, consider following us in your favorite podcast app. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. 
Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you.